God. So our series triggered that we're doing this month. Uh, in February, we typically like to do a relationship series, not just about marriage and dating necessarily, but all relationships and what it looks like to live in godly biblical relationships. And uh, I'm sure most of you, all of you know that uh, the thing that can trigger us as much as anything in life is relationships. Uh, relationships are challenging, and the only reason they're challenging is because people are involved. Amen? When there's people and stuff, it can be challenging because we are humans and we have, uh, we have all kinds of carnality in our life that we're constantly dealing with. So uh, we thought it would be a great month to talk about relationships and how it looks to do that God's way. And uh, we're going to continue today and then next week, Pastor Unique Mackey is going to finish us up with a great message to finish up our Triggered series. So I encourage you to be here next week as well. With that being said, I'm going to jump in. My text verse today is out of 1 John 4. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would as we read God's word together. If you don't have a Bible or you're not looking at it on your phone, you can look on the screen. And it's, uh, this is out of 1 John 4. John, by the way, was Jesus' best friend, and he was closer to Jesus than anyone. And it's a really great insight that we have in our New Testament. Starting in verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. It's very important that you understand that. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The title of my message today is The Power of God's Love. I was gonna call it The Power of Love, but I figured everybody would immediately go to the Huey Lewis song. So it's the power of God's love in our life. How many of you know that God's love is actually power for us in our life today? Would you pray with me together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we love you. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. We honor you today, Lord. I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts, Lord. As the seed is planted, that it would, that it would work in every one of us, God. Help us to receive your love and let that be power in our lives today, God. Lord, we pray also for the kids' service across the hall, Lord, that you would bless those kids. Bless, I pray, Father, that the word as it goes forth over there, Lord, that these kids would receive it as well. We know that you, we are not too young as children to understand your word and to know your love. So would you do a powerful work over there as well today, God? We praise you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't wanna be a liar. <laughs> Now, you know, if you didn't mean it when you said that, you actually are a liar. <laughs> so I hope you meant it. It's really important that you meant that. So we're talking today about the power of love, specifically the power of God's love, the power of God's love in us. I don't know if you knew this or not or do know this, but his love in us really is power. It's not just to make us feel good, although it does. When you have a revelation of God's love for you, it feels really, really good. But it's not just for that, it's for the power that we need. Just like his grace in our life isn't just to cover up our sins and make us not pay for what we've done, his grace is power in our life and so is his love. They're very much intertwined that his grace comes because of his love, which gives us the power in this life to love others and to love ourselves and to love God. And I just wanna speak to the men for just one second. Men, I don't want you to tune me out today because we're talking about love and I know some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, we just came out of Valentine's Day. I just went all through all that mushy stuff. I don't need it in church. Well, we're not gonna be talking about the Valentine's kind of love, the society's definition of love. We're talking about the biblical kind of love. And I know, and you know, we all know that it is inherent in every human, male, female, whatever, that we want to be loved 
and we want to love. It's in every one of us to want to experience it and to want to give it to others. So you could say, really, the manliest thing you could ever do, man, is to love well. It's to love the way God wants you to love. And I hope today to help us with that and to encourage you in that. And I believe it's gonna be a blessing for the men in here just as much as the women and the girls in this place. Uh, it's something that God has put in every one of us. So what we need to do, what's important for us is that we allow the Bible to define what that love looks like. Part, part of our issue is that we have allowed society to define what love looks like. And I could tell you unequivocally today, society has lied to you. Society has lied to all of us. Maybe not even intentionally. They don't really know how to love. If you're far from God, you don't know how to love biblically. And biblical love doesn't look the same as natural love. It sometimes can represent, it can kind of have similarities, but it is not the same thing. It's not coming from the same place. So it is absolutely not the same kind of love. So we can't let society determine what love looks like for us. Society has boiled it down to a primal emotion about how it feels for me and having goosebumps, how it feels to watch a rom-com. That's what society says love looks like. But that's not what the Bible tells us it looks like. And we struggle with love sometimes because we don't really allow the Lord to define it for us. We don't allow his word to define it for us. And so we kind of slip into society's ways of loving in friendship, in the opposite sex, in marriage, in any kind of relationship. And then when we get in trouble, then we cry out to God for help. And we're kind of getting it backwards rather than going to him first and allowing him to lead us in our relationships. And this is a tension that we deal with in our life. And we will deal with in our life until we are out of this life and face to face with Jesus. It's something we're gonna have to deal with. I talked to you last week about the fact that there's in, in most messages you'll hear from a pulpit or from a stage is going to involve a tension that we have to deal with and spiritual principles that will help us to manage or defeat that tension in our life. So the tension today is about relationships. It's about doing relationships God's way and not society's way. And to kind of illustrate that, I, I kind of just created a real quick uh, chart, table, whatever you'd want to call it, that, uh, that will kind of help explain it just real quick what, what the differences are, some of the differences between societal characteristics of love and biblical characteristics. So I'm going to put it up on the screen here. And when you look at characteristics of love, you have societal, which are convenient, conditional, and flaky. And then you have biblical definitions and characteristics of love, which are sacrificial, unconditional, and committed. So I'm gonna ask the tech team back there, leave that up there for a minute if you would. The societal norms of love starts with convenient. When we go into any kind of friendship or any kind of romantic relationship, that, that convenience is a dominant trait in relationships if you're, going, if you're doing it the way society does it. It's narcissistic, it's about me, it's about my feelings, it's about my truth, me, my, and mine. And if, as long as it works for me, then we're okay. But if it becomes inconvenient, now we're gonna have a problem. But the biblical version of that is the exact opposite of that. It's meant to be sacrificial. Our relationships are meant to be where we come into it as a, as a posture of sacrificing for the other person. Because if both people go into it that way, they're sacrificing for you, you're sacrificing for them, and it works. And so our, our call is to be sacrificial in relationships. It's about laying down your life. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, he said, there's no greater love than someone that lays down his life for his friends. Now he was talking specifically about himself there laying down his life so that we could have salvation, but he was also, we could also refer that to the fact that it's, 
It's a great act of love for us to lay down our lives. We're supposed to model our lives as Jesus did, not necessarily to die for our friends, but to come into a relationship, any kind of relationship that we're coming into sacrificially. That's the biblical way. And then society says that it should be conditional. It's conditional, it's based on the conditions. If the conditions are right, if you treat me right in this relationship, I'm in. But if, if, if it goes south, there may be a problem here. I may just turn tail and run. Whereas biblically, it's meant to be unconditional. Jesus said to love as I have loved you. Jesus loves us how? He loves us unconditionally. Now that doesn't mean that we just put up with everything in any toxic relationship and just continue to put ourselves in these horrible situations. That's not at all what this means. But it means that our love is not conditional based on how I feel. It's not based on whether or not you do exactly what I want you to do in my friendship, in this relationship. It's based on being unconditional. That I know you're gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna make mistakes, but we're gonna come from a posture of I'm going to forgive forward. I'm gonna forgive situations that I know are probably going to come up and I'm going to have more of an unconditional approach in this relationship. And then society would also say that relationships or would show us that relationships are flaky. Now, I don't know that that's a technical term, <laughs> at least not for relationships, but we all know what it means. Nobody wants to be called flaky in relationships, yet it's very, very common, where if something better comes along, you might just go to somewhere else. We even see it in marriage consistently, that if something comes along that, well, you know, this, I married this person, but this person's actually my soulmate. And I just can't, you know, I just gotta do this. And you see it all the time. And that's incredible. It's not even, it's not even frowned upon a whole lot in society anymore. I mean, you couldn't help it. You had to go, it was your soulmate. And in friendships, we can be incredibly flaky if someone doesn't do what we want them to do or someone else comes along that we like better and we just don't have enough room in our life for all these friendships so we can switch and move and, and, and change consistently. But biblically, we are called to be committed, that there is no out in relationships, in a, in a normal, functional relationship, that we're not looking for a way out if we get bored or think something better comes along. And so with these characteristics, it's no wonder we struggle with loving the way the Bible describes, because if we are honest with ourselves and we look at this table, how would you say your relationships are in your life? Are they more convenient, conditional, and flaky, or are they more sacrificial, unconditional, and committed? And I'll take it another step further. How would you describe your relationship with Jesus? Is it more about convenience, conditions, and flakiness? Or is it more about sacrifice, being unconditional, and being committed to him? You see how we can let society's definition of love creep into our life so easily? I mean, if we're honest, we probably could all say, well, all six of those are kind of part of my relationship with Jesus. There's times I'm committed and there's times I'm flaky. There's times it's conditional, there's times it's unconditional. It depends on my mood. I mean, if we're honest, that's really what comes into play a lot of times in our life. But it, the, the goal here for us is that we have to make sure our mindset is one where we are consistently reminding ourselves about the commitment we have to Jesus. That we are coming from a place, from a foundation of understanding his love for us so that we can live in such a way that he would want us to live. You see, he wants each and every one of us to live committed, unconditional, and sacrificial in our relationship with him. I don't think any of us would argue with that. The beauty of our God, and he is so wonderful and so good, the beauty of him is that he wants us to live that way, but he also says, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you do it. 
I'm gonna give you what you need to be able to do this in your life. I'm gonna give you the power to do this in your life. He wants you to live for him first, and when we understand his love, when we receive his love, what that does for us is it gives us the power to love others in our life and also to love him. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm, uh, I think it's, where is it, 37? Where he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm not sure if that's 37 or not. But delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That verse is taken and twisted so much that people don't realize they're doing it because so many people feel like that means, well, if I delight myself in God, he's gonna give me everything I want. Delight myself in God, I'm gonna get a new Mercedes. Delight myself in God, all my relationships are gonna be perfect. That's not what it means. He's saying delight yourself in him and he will give you the desires that he wants you to have. He will give you, he will help you to live out this kind of love that he calls us to live if we will put him first in our life. And so many times we can take this so to the extreme and think, well, but I, 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 I'm just not committed enough to be able to just serve him and to just seek him. He doesn't say to just do that to him. In fact, Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added. He didn't say seek only. It's okay to seek other things in life. It's okay to seek a career and a family and a, and a job and things and health and other things in life. He just says, seek me first and these other things will be added. I'll give you what you need to be able to love the way I've called you to love if we will put him first, if we will seek him first in our life. And let me take you back to my text verse, which as I said earlier, is pretty harsh what John said. He didn't, uh, he didn't mince any words. He said that if you say you love your brother or you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. I, I wish he would just say what he means and not beat around the bush. But he's, he's telling us that if we have hatred for anyone, that we can't love God. And you might say, well, I don't hate anyone. Well, you may not hate someone to the extent that you would want to do them bodily harm or you know, a kind of hatred that you would see in the political world and places like that, but hatred has many different levels. You know, There's a hatred that Hitler had for a whole race of people and tried to annihilate them, but there's also a hatred that you and I can easily harbor in our heart. If there's anyone in your life that you kind of rejoice just a little bit when you see that something didn't go their way, that's hatred. That's a level of hatred. And if you have an ex-spouse that you see, you know, might have had something bad happen on social media and it kind of brings a smile to your face, that's hatred. That's absolutely what that is. When, we, when you see that someone, you know, missed their flight down to the port to get on their cruise, so they missed their cruise, and you kind of, <laughs> that's a level of hatred. Jealousy comes from hatred. Gossip comes from a place of hatred in our heart. That's exactly what that is. And so John is telling us here, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, and he's not talking about a literal brother, he's talking about somebody in your life. If you have hatred in your heart towards them, you can't love God. He's saying you're a hypocrite. And it's, a, it's incredibly sobering to hear him say this because it's not this thing of like trying to call us out, but it's trying to help us understand, okay, so if I do have that hatred, I don't love God, something's wrong because I feel like I love God. How do I... How do I have this if I really do love God because I really feel like I do? Well, he's showing us, and I'm gonna kind of break this down in another verse of what Jesus said here in a minute, but what he's showing us is that the only way to really love the way God wants us to love is to receive his love first. John started that, my text verse by saying, we love because he first loved us. You cannot love if he doesn't love you. It's not, 
It's not a matter of whether or not he loves you. It's a matter of whether or not you have received and if you are basking in and have an understanding and a revelation of his love. So you say, we cannot love unless we understand and receive his love. That's what John is saying here. So to be able to do that, we have to understand and receive his love in our life. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love us based on what we deserve? See, it's so easy for us to think, well, you know, I don't deserve God's love because I know what's in my mind and in my heart. And so it's hard for me, many of us have a hard time receiving his love because we don't feel like we deserve it. Let me, let me just share the verse in Romans 5, 8 that says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. So he, he demonstrated, he didn't just say he loved us, he actually showed us that he loved us by putting his actions to his words. He put his money where his mouth was. He demonstrated his love for this in that while we were still sinners, this, you probably heard this verse so many times, it's easy just to fly through it and not think about it. While we were still sinners, let me, let me expand on that a little bit. While you stabbed him in the back, while you cheated him out of money, while you cheated on him in a relationship, while you did everything you wanted to do your way selfishly and couldn't have been more about yourself than him, he said, I'm still gonna die for you. He still came and died. He still paid the price for us even while we were still sinners. So how much more does he love us when we just kind of mess up? When we do something that we know we shouldn't do and we've given into it and it's a sin that easily entangles us and I did it again and I knew I was doing it when I did it and I shouldn't have done it so God's obviously mad at me. No, that's not how he works. Because while you were a sinner, he came and did the biggest thing he could do for you. While you were at your worst, he did his best. So while you're at your worst today, he's gonna to continue to do his best, which is to love you and to draw you to him and to draw you into a deeper relationship with him. That is the God we serve, church. That is the God that loves you. That is the God of the Bible. That is the God that we worship here. That is the God who gave everything just so he could know you. And when you are at your worst, he is at his best. Praise God. Yes, yeah, somebody praise God in here today. Thank the Lord. Listen, this is revolutionary because I know better than probably anyone what it's like to feel like I'm not good enough. God's mad at me. God's mad at me because I, you know, I, know I, sh I knew I shouldn't have done that and I did it anyway. Ooh, I'm sure he's mad. And then the next thing that happens to you that's not good, like you stub your toe, you're like, oh, there it is. God's judging me because I let a cuss word slip out, whatever it is. And you, you start to think like that, but if we, will if we would meditate on his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were far, far, far away from him and didn't care anything about him, he still closed the gap and came to us. That tells you about his love for you. And that's the love that when we have the revelation of that love, that is what changes our life. That is what changes our motivation. That is the foundation that we build on that helps us to love others and to live the life he has called us to live. If it's built on any other foundation than that, you cannot sustain it. It cannot be sustained. It cannot and will not be, have any longevity in your life. I would go as far as to say it's impossible to love God unless you have received his love. Unless you have received the forgiveness of your sins in a way that you know you don't deserve it, in a way that you know that he didn't need to do it for you, that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up, 
that there's nothing about you that should cause Jesus to come and down a cross, yet he did it anyway. When you know that, then you can love. Then you can love. This is why we can't be mad at society for teaching us wrong what love looks like, because they don't know, because they don't have the love of God in their heart to help them live this love out. They're, it's not their fault, church, it's ours. It's ours for allowing them to have influence into our lives and letting, us, letting them show us how it should work in our life. It's like if I needed a surgery, like let's say I needed knee replacement, and you know, I was like, man, I just, the person I trust the most in my life is my brother, and I just really want him to do it, even though my brother is an electrical engineer. I just want you to do it, because you're the one, I just know you care enough about me, you'll take care of me, so I want you to do it. And if he had any brains at all, he would say no, because he, say, he would say, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the authority. I don't have the strength to be able to do that in your life. And if I had any sense at all, I wouldn't be upset with him for that because I would know that that's true. And so I wouldn't be mad at him for not doing what I need him to do. Same thing with society. We can't be mad at them for not showing us the godly way to love or be in relationship because they really don't know. They don't have the authority. They don't have the supernatural ability and the leading of the Holy Spirit to even be able to do that. So we can't be upset at them for that. We need to be upset at ourselves for that. And it is so easy for us to miss this, to miss that I need to focus more of my time and energy on receiving God's love, on believing it and meditating on how much he loves me and looking at verses in the word that show me how much he loves me. Like my text verse, it says that we love because he first loved us. John 3, 16, the, the reason everybody loves that verse is because it's, it tells us. It says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you and he so loved me that he sent his son, he, he paid everything. That's the love of God. Romans, where it says that he demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. His love, there, it's all through the Bible. That's why so many people call the Bible God's love letter to us because it's all about him showing us his love and we miss it so much. And if, if you're a good Christian boy or girl, you might've experienced it at the beginning, but then you can easily internalize it and say, okay, well now God loves me, so now I gotta work hard to be the best Christian I can be. I can tell you I lived for years doing that and I can tell you from firsthand experience that that is a train wreck waiting to happen because you never ever measure up, because it starts to become about you. It starts to become about me doing enough to make sure I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm trying to obey his commandments because, because I'm a Christian now and I have to be good. And we get it completely backwards. We try to do things to get God to see what we're doing so he loves us and he's telling you, I just want you to know my love. The good things will come out of that. The, the, the godliness in our life will flow out of and it has to flow out of his love for us. And it's easy to think, well, I, you know, I don't wanna to focus too much on how much he loves me. Isn't that a little, you know, isn't that a little pompous to think how much God loves me, a little arrogant in life? I can tell you, it's actually the exact opposite. The ones who become pompous and arrogant in their faith are the ones that are doing everything trying to prove how much they love God. The Pharisees were the best of the best of the best of following the rules. And they were very far from the love of God. And they were arrogant and they were puffed up and they were pompous. And it was because they, in, they, they interpreted what had to be done. They did the best they knew how to do. Their hearts probably started good, but it got to where, and this is where it gets for all of us too, and probably the overwhelming majority of us in here have experienced this in our own life, 
where you find yourself judging everybody else that's not doing as good or as much as you're doing in the faith. And the only place that comes from is from having a flipped perspective on what it's supposed to be like. When you know that it's all about his love in me and it's all about what he has done for me and that my, my outward acts are just an overflow of that, there's no place for you to judge anyone. There's no place for you to be arrogant about it. In fact, when I started focusing on God's love for me instead of how much I love him, the, the, the pride went away and humility came in. And I just found myself wanting to just honor him and just wanting to see him glorified. I didn't want any glory. I didn't want any credit. I didn't want, I start to feel like Paul, as Paul went on in his relationship with Jesus, by the end, he's like, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Because when you start to experience God's love, you realize how much you really don't deserve it. You realize how much you really deserve just the opposite of that. And your, the sin in your life becomes, uh, it becomes exposed and it sometimes even becomes magnified because you just want so much to glorify him and to be holy and to be, to be what he wants you to be. And so every little thing takes you to a place of deeper humility. Not, not condemnation and judgment, but humility, knowing that it's all about him in life. You are not good enough and you will never be good enough to impress him or to convince him to love you. Some of you really need to hear this. You will never be good enough to convince God to love you. You'll never sin less, least enough to get him to love you more or to be pleased with you, never. That's not where it comes from. It doesn't come from their church. It doesn't come from what we do. What we do is an outflowing of what he has done in us, period. There's nothing else. There is nothing else, nothing. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you because I'm on a stage preaching out of the Bible. He's not more pleased with me than he is with you because it has nothing to do with that. He loves us because he loves us, because we're his, because he made us. He doesn't have favorite children. And that when we learn that, when we receive that and we walk that out in our life, it changes everything. You come from a place of freedom. It doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean all your relationships all of a sudden are just perfect and line up exactly the way they're supposed to be and every problem is solved in 30 minutes like on a sitcom. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means you come from a place of freedom. And we're, we're called to freedom. Jesus died to set every one of us free. But as a Christian, you can be completely bound up. Freedom is not guaranteed in your life. You have to walk it out. You have to understand it and live it out. And you have to have the knowledge to know how to live that out in your life. So let me take the rest of my time here quickly to a passage in John 15 that is so great because it gives us a progression of what it looks like to receive God's love and live it out in our life. And I've, I've just, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. In fact, it's one of the best chapters in all the Bible. If you don't know it, I encourage you highly to go read the whole chapter of John 15, talking about the love of God for us. I'm gonna read in verse nine through 12. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. All right, I'm gonna unpack this verse a little bit. We're gonna break it down because it is so, so good and it is so life-giving for us. He starts off by saying, he gives us a fact. He says, he loves us. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In fact, he ends this passage by saying, I have loved you too. So he bookends this whole passage with wanting you to know that he loves you. 
Church, he wants you to know that he loves you. Some of you have been hearing it since you were a kid and it falls on deaf ears because you've heard it so much, it doesn't really mean much to you anymore, but you need to know it today. Open your spiritual ears to hear this today. He loves you. He loves you a lot. He loves you enough to die for you. He loves you enough to forgive you of every sin, every nasty thing you've ever done in your life. That's how much he loves you. And he wants you to know it. It starts by knowing and understanding his love. He wants you to know that everything in your life, everything as you walk out this faith life, for as long as God puts you on this earth, everything hinges on knowing this, on knowing that he loves you. Don't, it's not for kids. It's not just for kids to sing Jesus loves me. It is for adults. We need to be reminded of it every day. I start most of my prayers with God. I, I start by saying, God, I thank you that you love me. I'm reminding myself, I'm stirring my spirit saying, God, I thank you that you love me. Even if I just messed up and I know what I did was really ridiculous and I shouldn't have done it, my prayer, even if I'm repenting, my prayer starts with God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I can come to you and repent because you love me. I thank you that you love me and that nothing can change that in all the world. And we need to take time to meditate on it because it is the foundation of our faith. And if your faith is built on anything besides this, your faith will fail you. It is really that simple. Your faith will fail if it is not built on this. You will never feel like you're enough. I know a lot of you in this room and watching online know that you're not enough, or you feel it, but not in a way that brings humility. You feel it in a way that brings condemnation. You feel like you never measure up to God. God, there's so much in the Bible about what I'm supposed to do. I just can't do it. I feel so bad all the time. I just live in condemnation. There's one solution. Focus on his love for you. Focus on his love. You're right, you're never gonna be enough. I know that more than anybody, that I'll never be enough, but it leads me to a place of humility, saying, God, I'm not enough, you're gonna have to do it through me. I'm not enough to lead this church, you're gonna have to do it through me. I'm not enough to lead my family, you're gonna have to do it through me. I'm not enough to do anything on my own, you gotta do it through me. And coming to a place of humility, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you. And then it goes from there, the fact, to the response. Our response is, he tells us to remain there. He says, remain in my love, stay in my love. Some versions say, abide in my love. What he's saying is, don't leave that place of knowing my love. I've told you I love you, now stay there, stay there. It's not just for five-year-olds to know that Jesus loves them, it's for every one of us to be reminded that we have to stay there because guess what, church? It's not our tendency to stay there. It's our tendency to move, to go other places. He says, remain in it, abide in my love. It reminds me of when we had kids, or when, we, when our kids were little, and when they were just starting to crawl, and you know how you put a little pallet on the floor, and you put some toys around, and you put your kid in the middle, and you say, stay there, play with some toys. And what do they do every time? There they go, and you gotta go chase them. No, 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 here, here, here. This is where you wanna be. You wanna be on this blanket, it's soft. I got toys here, this is what you want. This is a place of safety. You know, if you get off of this, you could, you know, maybe fall down the stairs. Now, I know, you know, you should have a baby gate at the stairs, but for the sake of this illustration, we didn't have one, okay? So you could fall, there's places of danger. You could pull something off of you, the shelf and hit your, hurt yourself. There's other things that can happen. Stay here. And then you walk away, and there they go. Woo, they're taking off again. And you gotta keep grabbing them and putting them back. And keep grabbing them and putting them back. And you could just wear yourself out putting kids on a pallet. That's exactly what we do spiritually. That is exactly what we do when it comes to the love of God in our life. That's why Jesus said, stay there, stay in it. This is the place you want to be, I promise you. Stay in my love. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll stay here. 
and then trauma happens. Whoop, we're off. Or somebody mistreats you at work. Whoop, we're off. Or I just have a moment of, I just want to be selfish. I want to do my own thing, and we're off. And God's constantly bringing us back, saying, no, 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 no. Stay here. Abide here. This is where you want to be. There's no doubt about it. Stay in my love. He's telling us to remain in his love, because not because it's the rules, but because that is where you want to be. Remind yourself to stay in his love. I have studied abiding for the last 15 years. I constantly come back to what it means to abide and just resting in him and just trusting in him and refocusing my mind all the time that it's about him and living for him and and reading my Bible in a way that I'm receiving his love and understanding how much he loves me and what he's done for me. And it just, it'll change and revolutionize your whole faith. He says, stay in this place, remain in this place. And then he gives us the how. How do you remain? Obey my commands. He says, if, if you receive my love, remain in my love, then you'll be able to obey my commands. This is beautiful, church. He did this on purpose. It's not obey my commands so that you can remain in my love. It's remain in my love and you'll, I'll give you the power, which is the, the reason I titled this message, the power of God's love, is because his love, understanding how to stay on that palette of his love is what gives us the power to obey his commands. That's the only way to do it. Then it doesn't become a chore to obey him. It becomes an act of love towards him. It makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. It is the difference between life and death. You cannot obey God if you have not received his love. And you might think, well, that's ridiculous. I can obey God without really knowing about his love. I can do the things he wants me to do. You're right. You can do some of the things. You can serve. You can be a nice person, a good person, and forgive people and do all those things without having to really receive God's love. You can do that. But to really have any longevity in it, to be able to really come from a place where it is an overflow and it's not just us gritting our teeth trying to do the best we can like a Pharisee, it has to be done in response to his love for us. It's the only way. And Jesus is telling us that. If you want to obey my commands, love me. Respond to my love. Don't just read the rules and try to make up and and follow this list of rules and put this laminated rule list on your wall so you can make sure you don't break any of these rules. That's not what it's about. Because that is nothing more than religion. And Jesus came to set us free from religion, church. He came to set us free from religion because he wants relationship with us. And he says, if you will receive my relationship, I'll give you the power to obey my my commands. And so we obey his commands. And then the result, which is beautiful, he says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. I love it. He said, it's not just about following his commands because that's the way he said it. And that's what I want. And these are the rules and you need to do it. He says to do this because that's where your joy will come from. Not, the joy doesn't come from obeying the rules. The joy comes from serving God in response to abiding in his love for us. When we do that, it's actually a joy to be obedient. Many of you have experienced the joy of obeying God. It's a joy when it's coming from a place of his love. It's a joy as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, it is a joy for me to reject the things of the world for the most part. I mean, everybody has their things they like, but it is, it is a joy for me to reject watching nasty movies. It is a joy for me to not listen to music that is 
derogatory and tearing people down and having all kinds of horrible language in it. It's a joy for me to give those things up and to get those things out of my life, to be more obedient to him and making my joy complete in my life. As I understand, but it's got to be, don't miss this, it's got to be in response to his love for you. Has to be. Otherwise, we're just being judgmental and legalistic and following the rules. But if we do it in response to his love, it is incredibly beautiful. There's always joy in obedience when it's done in the power of his love. Always joy in obedience when it's done in the power of his love. Now again, doesn't mean you never mess up. Doesn't mean you don't have moments where you just get really carnal and do things you, you know would grieve the heart of God. But the overwhelming draw in life is obedience, is joy in obedience with him. And then finally, once he shows us his love, we receive it, we abide in it, we obey his commands, our joy is complete. Then he says, love each other. Love each other. This is what's so great. When we talk about relationships and doing biblical, godly relationships, this is how we love each other deeply. This is how we love our brother and don't hate is by receiving his love, living in it, obeying his commands, joy complete, love each other. It comes out of a place of having the joy of the Lord in our life because we know his love for us. Now listen, if, if we're not careful, this can sound like, oh, this is just the person that just floats along and everything's perfect all the time. No, that's not what we're saying here at all today. It doesn't mean life's gonna be perfect and that you're just gonna always be full of joy all the time. In fact, this word joy here is not, it's not happiness. It's about peace. It's about having an abundance of rest in any situation that we come across. It is about knowing the pleasure of God in your life, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through. You know, we're having a funeral here today at two o'clock for Kenneth Baker. Many of you know Mr. Kenneth. He served on our tech team for 10 years probably. A wonderful, wonderful man of God. 50 years old, passed away from cancer. And we're having his service today. He's leaving behind a wife and two kids that are in college. They can have joy that is complete in the midst of this. Doesn't mean they're happy. Doesn't mean they're not grieving. It doesn't mean they're not devastated. But the joy that God gives us is something that circumstances cannot take away. It's something that circumstances cannot destroy in our life. Because it is about a rest in God. It is about a peace in God. It is about knowing his good pleasure in our life, even in the midst of tragedy. And that's this Baker family's only chance of moving forward in, in a way where they can live victoriously and thrive in life is coming from that place of receiving his love. When you know how much God loves you, that's the difference. That's, what's, that's the difference between somebody, a Christian that can go through trauma victoriously and a Christian that goes through trauma completely defeated. It's all hinging on knowing his love for you. That's how somebody can say God is always faithful even when we all prayed. I, I prayed for Kenneth more times than I probably prayed for most people in my life to be healed. We had the elders go to the house, we anointed him with oil, we prayed over him, we believed for healing, we did everything we knew to do that that man would be healed and not die, and he died. But because I know God's love for me, I can look at that situation and say God was faithful. God was faithful. He has never ever failed. He was good in that situation. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. But that only comes, that's why some, some of you may be even looking at me going, 
you're crazy. To say God's faithful when that happened, you're crazy. It's about knowing his love. It's about knowing his character. It's about knowing what he did. If anybody knows anything about suffering and death, it's our God. He came and did all that for us. So he knows all about that. He didn't promise us we wouldn't die. He didn't promise us we wouldn't have tragedies in our life. He didn't promise us there wouldn't be days that were just horrible and we didn't wanna be here on this earth. He didn't promise us any of those things. He said, I'm gonna do it too. I'm gonna go through all that too so that I can be there for you when you go through those things. He walks through those things with us, but he doesn't necessarily say everything's gonna go perfect. And that's why we have to understand his love because whether you're in a terrible situation right now or not, or you've experienced trauma lately or not, maybe everything in your life's great, we know that coming down the pike is some stuff we probably don't want. And we have to be ready for it. And the only way to do that is to know his love and to live in his love in a way that we can withstand anything that comes our way. And we can, we can live in relationships in the way that God will want us to, in a way that will glorify him and build his kingdom on this earth. So we are commissioned to love. His love is the source of our love. And now it's also the measure. He says, as I have loved you, now go love. So he's the source. But then he also says, that's how you need to love others. Sacrificially, unconditionally, committed. Peter says in his, one of his epistles in 1 Peter 4, 8, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. The only way to do that is if you know the love of the Father. What we are doing when we allow other people to even mistreat us, and we just, you know, the Bible talks about forgiveness, that we are to forgive unconditionally. When we're doing that, we're not letting people get away with stuff. What we're actually doing is we are letting them reap the benefits of our relationship with Jesus. Let the people in your life reap the benefits of your relationship with Jesus. Because I promise you, you have reaped the benefits of somebody else's relationship with Jesus. And it's meant to spread. And that's how his kingdom comes. And that's how his will is done on this earth like it is in heaven. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I'm gonna pray for us. And listen, I wanna invite you. I wanna invite you to the altar. Maybe for some of you, you've never received God's love in a way that you feel like I can really live my life with the overflow of that in my life. You've never experienced that. I wanna invite you to come up. I wanna pray for you. Maybe you received it. Maybe you remember moments in your life where you just felt the overwhelming love of God, the overwhelming pleasure of God in your life, and it's what drew you to him, and you live for him, but maybe it's gone stale and it's been a while. I wanna pray for you. Maybe you just wanna refocus. You wanna renew. You know his love very well, but you've allowed yourself to get caught up in the worldly way of doing relationships or, or you just become um, a little bit stagnant in your, in your love, for, in, in receiving his love. This is not about telling him how much you love him today, church. This is about receiving his love. The apostle John, all through his gospel, he just brags about how much Jesus loved him. That is what sustained him when the tough times came, was receiving that love, knowing God loves you. He loves you so, so much that he died for you. Personalize the scriptures, that he knows the plans he has for you plans to prosper you and it's because he loves you because he loves you he sent his son to die for you because he loves you while you were still a sinner he died for you it's all because of his love for you and some of you don't feel like you're lovable because you've been rejected you've been rejected by a parent or you've been rejected by a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a teacher or a boss or a friend or whatever it is you've been rejected and you just feel like well I must not be lovable so how could God even love me that is a lie from the pit of hell that is being exposed today. And I want you to know 
that it doesn't matter if every human on this earth rejects you. God loves you. He receives you. He says, I will in no ways cast you away. I will never forsake you. There is nothing in this world, church, that can separate you from his love. Nothing in all the universe, actually. He says, demons, angels, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's how much he loves you. There is nothing, no power on this earth that can separate you from it. And some of you haven't believed it in a long time, and you need to believe it today. Choose to believe it today. Walk in his love for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so, so good. Thank you for your love. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Thank you that I can love because you first loved me. I receive your love today. I receive your love knowing I'm not good enough, knowing I am an incredibly flawed human. If everybody in this room knew all my flaws, they might not even wanna come back. I thank you that you love me in spite of the flaws. You love me in spite of my weaknesses. You love me in spite of my sin. You love me in spite of my pride. I thank you for it today, God. And I pray that you would speak that love to every heart in this room today. Every heart. God, that we would know your love. That we would be able to abide in that love that was demonstrated by your death. God, help us to, to stay on that pallet of your love. And Lord, when we venture off, God, I'm so thankful today that when we venture off, it's always just one step back. It is one step back. No matter how many times we venture off, it's been 10, 20, 100, 1,000, a million, every time we can come right back and receive that incredible love you have for us. God, we wanna receive it. We wanna abide in it so that we can obey your commands out of an overflow of your love for us so that our joy may be complete, that your joy would be in us, your peace, your rest, your pleasure would overflow out of us so that we can love others too, God, so that we can be effective for your kingdom, so that we can affect the lives of the people that you put in our life. God, we know that we are not just here to get by and to get going, but we are here to help your kingdom come. Would you bless us in our relationship with you today, God? Lord, where we have allowed sin to have its way, where we have cherished sin in our heart, as Psalm 66 says. And the psalmist says that if we cherish sin in our heart, that you will not listen to us. God, we come today and we repent where we have cherished sin. We know that Christians should be repenting more than anybody else because we're more aware of our sin. So God, we come today and we repent of, that, of those sins that easily entangle us, the ones that we, that we even harbor in our hearts that we've given up on and we've just said, this is just gonna be who I am. Lord, we repent for that bad thinking. We expose that lie today in the name of Jesus and we thank you that your truth is clear, that we are free, that you have set us free and we can walk in that freedom as we receive your love. We bless you today, God. We thank you for the freedom that you provided for each and every one of us, Lord. We thank you that we do not have to walk in chains. We do not have to walk bound up. We don't even have to walk with our head hung down, but we can walk boldly because of what you've done for us, because of the freedom that you provided, God. Lord, we don't wanna be Christians that are bound up. 
We wanna be Christians that are free. In your name, Jesus, and we thank you for it. We thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you, when we are at our worst, you are at your best. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us your best and for not withholding from us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name. Thank you, Jesus.